Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zen Ashay. I am a coach, conduit, and catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. And today our topic is building a foundation which is such an important topic. And I think as we're starting, you know, in January, a new year, some people are trying to fix their foundations. Um, and I have Chauncey with me, so say hi to the people. Hey, everybody. Pleasure meeting so, you. So he has a, a wonderful biography that I put on the event um, that he's an author, and he has a thing called the hero's journey, which I teach as an English teacher, you know, many stories um, across time, across cultures deal with the hero's journey. And, and basically all of us can kind of see ourselves as in a sense, a hero, even though a lot of us probably don't think of ourselves as heroes, but we probably do think of ourselves as being on a journey. And if we have the right foundation, you know, we're more likely to be heroic in our journey than if we are lost and stumbling and just without direction. And so I wanted to start off with asking you, why did you pick that topic of building a foundation? Thank you. Um, so actually, the, I feel like the hero's journey found me. Um, I went through um, a major life event in 2016 when my father passed away. And I found myself in this place of brokenness that I had not prepared myself for. And rather than stopping and assessing uh, my condition and figuring out what I need to do, whether it was talk to somebody or get help, uh, deal with my grief, I tried to outrun it. Uh, I come from a, a family of overachievers. I'm overachiever myself. One of the things I loved most about myself was my ability to identify a task and then accomplish it. And when I found myself uh, in a place where I could not use my familiar strategy to get back out there and go back to work and just act like nothing had happened to me, it caused me to completely reassess what everything in my life was built on. So I feel like uh, the hero's journey was waiting for me. Uh, I had experienced it my whole life. I, I'm very much a person who compares moments in my life to movies that I've seen or books that I've read or character journeys that I know. I've done this forever and I'm an artist, I'm a musician. So I, I write songs and write plays and stories. You know, I've been done this my whole life. But I, for me, it was just a hobby. It was just something that I could do, something that was fun, something that, that entertained me. And I found out that, that those resources that I had developed as a hobby could be applied to my life strategy in a way that allowed me to see myself as a hero on a journey. Joseph Campbell has done all this work of connecting all of our stories. He calls it the monomyth, all right? We've all heard the term myth, but we necessarily haven't heard the term monomyth. But he basically says, 
all of these books, all these movies, they're all really different versions of the same story. There's always a protagonist or hero who's trying to accomplish something and then meets obstacles or conflicts along the way. Uh, so it's very familiar, but I, I didn't realize it had the practical application it did. So that's why I've embraced the hero's journey. Well, that's awesome. And we have some similarities because in 2014, um, my dad had passed and that was, and I also got divorced right mm -hmm. after my dad passed. And um, that those two events together, when you are going through uh, the loss of someone who has been very, for my, for me, my dad was much more influential in my life than my mother was. Um, both of them raised me. I was raised in a two-parent household, but my dad was the one who molded and shaped me and kind of was like, you my child, you know, mm -hmm. and you're going to do what I say. And, you know, he was very hands-on. And so when I lost him, um, it sent me for a spin. It just made me spin. And then also when you have an identity, a lot of us don't really realize that we wrap our identity in our roles. Absolutely. And our roles, I was a daughter and I was a wife and I was a married woman. And, and so those roles began to be my identity. And when I lost those roles, there was a moment in time when I said, well, who am I now? Absolutely. Who, who am I? Absolutely. And so as you were talking about, for me, I began to, I did do a lot of therapy and try, tried to deal with those questions. And I also did a lot of journaling. So, you know, I have a book that you can actually see right behind me with a little Amazon gold uh, uh, bestsellers sticker on it. Um, a guided journal. I did a lot of journaling to try to figure out who I was, where I was going, what I wanted to do. And as you talk about the hero's journey, the first thing that happens is the ordinary world. Right. We're all in this ordinary world. Everything's going the same way it's gone. We have, you know, our, our, we get up in the morning, we go to work and then there's this call to action. There's right. this something that happens that throws us and we have to actually decide what we're going to do. You know, if you think about the hunger games, Katniss Everdeen, here's her sister's name called and she's thinking Prem is too young. Right. to go into this jungle and fight for her life. And she says, I'll go. Right. And that's when she, she answers that call to action. And so with us, you know, with you and with me, kind of the call to action was losing someone and having to say, who am I now? That's and the call to action was redefining ourselves um, after that loss. You know, and, and people keep having with COVID happening, people losing their jobs. There's a lot of people that are in that. Who am I now? Absolutely. I just lost my job. Who am I now? I just lost my home. Who am I now? I just got this diagnosis that I wasn't expecting. Who am I now? My kids just moved out of the house and I'm an empty nester, you know, and who am I right. without these kind of roles? And so that is really a call to action to say, okay, now you're going to step into a new journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're going to have to define yourself again. Absolutely. And for me, for me, the way I had lived, and what these weren't totally new concepts. It's just previously, I've always defined myself based on what I was able to do in the world. What I was able to contribute, what I was able to accomplish. 
I, I define my identity based on my ability to perform. Mm. And so once my ability to perform was gone, I, I didn't even have a metric or way of thinking about myself that wasn't based on performance. And so I literally was, I couldn't do anything, which is why I didn't go, I didn't go to therapy at first because it was, I was stuck. I was literally paralyzed. I literally couldn't motivate. And what's interesting for me is with the pandemic, when the country shut down, again, mm -hmm. I found myself, even though I'm on my journey, I'm doing my thing, getting to the coffee shop where I right? It's just like, can I even, can I go? It's like, I had to, I had to literally stop moving. And one of the things that Joseph Campbell talks about is how, well, Joseph Campbell is the only one of several people that talks about this. I don't know if you know Celestine Prophecy, but it's one of my favorite books. But I love it too. It's a great book. It's amazing. <laughs> great and book. He, they talk about how we have this tradition in our culture of busyness. And so as long as we're able to keep it moving and keep it going, we never even ask questions about foundation or identity. It doesn't come up because it doesn't matter. As I am the person driving this car, I am the person wearing this suit, I'm the person closing this deal, I'm the person managing these relationships, getting this money, getting this check, grabbing this bag. We define ourselves based on what we're able to do. But when the world shuts down, and not only can you not go to work, but you can't really go anywhere. And the, and even if you get there, the people who are the characters in that moment, they're not there. It's like it's a it's a time for total renegotiation. And that was one of the things I wanted to make sure I mentioned. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I talked myself into the word. Our identities, even though they're ours and they belong to us. Other people have vested interest in how we define ourselves. And that was also something that I had never really thought of before. Yes, that is very powerful because when I got divorced, um, I remember I told a lot of people before I got divorced that I was scared to get divorced, even though uh, in my first marriage, it was an abusive marriage. But I was scared to get divorced because I came from a, a family. Everybody's married. So if I get divorced, I'm one of those women who can't keep a man. I'm one of those women who don't put my family first. I'm one of those selfish women who can't can't keep my vows to God. You right. know what I'm saying? And, and it doesn't matter what's going on in that household because, you know, you made your bed lie in it, girl. Right. You know what I'm saying? Put your big girl panties on and lie in that bed that you made. You know, right. and, and so some of us are have grown up in these um, very rigid structures of your duty is to stay married. Your duty is to raise those children with a father. Doesn't matter what kind of marriage it is. And for me, talking about renegotiating. For me to say, no, I have the right to say I'm not safe. This is not healthy for me or my children. I'm going to leave this. And then later when I got remarried and it ended up being a different kind of unhealthy situation for me to say, okay, my kids are grown. Now they're 18. They just walked across the stage. I am now going to take off this mantle of being a wife and say, okay, I'm going to you know, be divorced. So renegotiating, basically saying, 
yes, I know you expected me to be this person. You expected me to stay married because you're my whoever you are to me. But I have to renegotiate this. I have to, you know, I have to move to a different part of my life. And some people are not willing to, you know, that's that's scary um, to, in a sense, feel like you're letting people down to feel like, you know, I remember in my first marriage going to church and knowing, knowing, knowing that the church was not going to support me getting divorced, no matter that my ex had a rap sheet 10 pages long, it did not matter. They were not going to support it. Um, and so, you know, and I remember even being younger and one of my relatives getting excommunicated from the Catholic church because she had become a born again Christian and they literally excommunicated her because wow. they said that her Catholic faith said that she was supposed to believe certain things and do certain things a certain way and da, 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 da. So, you know, I grew up in a very, um, rigid structure, you know, and, and there was a lot of wonderful things in that foundation. We're talking about building our foundation, a lot of great values, a lot of, um, homegrown old school values, but then there was some toxicity also. Um, and I wanted to say hi to Kathy Tatum. She said hi to us. She, you know, had commented. Um, so, and I know she works with a lot of nonprofits. There's a lot of nonprofits out there that are trying to help people to, step out of those rigid boundaries and, and, and care for themselves, self-care. And yeah. even let's talk about renegotiation. Let's talk about what you were saying in the black community. There's still a saying of you shouldn't go to therapy because you shouldn't be telling people your business. You right. need to keep everything in the house. Everything needs to be in the house. Right. Nobody outside the house needs to know, or, you know, you're not masculine if you cry. Or you're supposed to be a black woman. You're supposed to be strong. Right. You know, and when do we get a chance to show our vulnerability as men or as women? When do we get a chance to ask for help and to say, I need to rebuild myself. I need to re I need to get rid of some of the stuff I was taught. Yeah. That was toxic. Yeah. And as you said, I need to renegotiate some things. So I'm going to come back to you because I know you want to chime in on yeah, some things. Yeah, you, you're giving me so many things that I want to talk about. I'm trying to remember everything you said. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to do first was uh, applaud your courage. Um, to your point, so many of us think we have no choices when we find ourselves in some of these situations. And some of our institutions are not designed to facilitate effective use of choice. That's not what they're about. Uh, and it's a shame when we use faith or institutional relationships in order to police behavior and identity. That's unfair. That's never what it was designed to do. But that's what religion often will create for you. Uh, in order to make sure that everybody looks a certain way so that we have a product um, that we can market and sell. A lot of a lot of church, a lot of religion is about business. And in order to in order to be successful in business, you need to have a distinct product. And so I think a lot of times what has happened is the lives that we're encouraged to live within these institutions are these are not they're not honest. They're not authentic mm -hmm. because they're not based on who we are. They're based on what the institution needs to represent us to be in order to market itself to people who are broken and hurt. 
And that's one of the really great things I love about story. Nobody owns story. Nobody owns the institution. And that's one of the reasons why I think um, reading is such an important event. Because for me, my imagination was not shaped by an institution. I did not discover the hero through some Bible story. I knew what a hero was from the time I was able to hear stories as a as an infant before I even had language. It's one of the reasons why this feature, this faculty is so important because it's innate, it's built in us. Historically, before there was even the written word, there was story, right? Before we had printing press, before we had letters, before we had alphabet, before we had language, before we had words, there was story. We understood that there is a, a pre-existing uh, need in our humanity that makes us want to be better versions of ourselves from one moment to the next. And so I wanted to applaud you first on, on believing in yourself and taking those very bold steps. Uh, there was something else you said at the end that I wanted to comment on. And now I don't remember what you said. Do you remember how you ended your statement just a moment ago about- Well, I talked about us renegotiating. I love the fact that you um, had mentioned that word because yeah. giving ourselves permission to say, and I'm gonna, we have a comment from Abby Miller. She said, when we step up and decide, no one else matters but us. Absolutely. And that's a powerful thing because what, you know, one of the things that I gave my permission, gave myself permission to say just seven years ago, was this is my life. Absolutely. Now that's a crazy thing for you to go your whole life and be in your forties and actually for the first time say, this is my life. Right. But I actually said that to myself, this is my life. Right. I don't owe my life to, to my children or my mother or my father or my church. I want them all to be a part of my life. I wanna share my life, share my love, share my, whatever I have, my strength, my, my talents, my abilities, but I'm not gonna live my life for them. Yes. And that was a, a, a realization that I got to just like seven years ago, that this is my life and I only get one of them. And if I live this life trying to please everybody else, then when I die, am I going to be the one on my deathbed regretting? all the things that I wanted to do, but didn't do because it wasn't in other people's agendas for me, you know? And that was something I had never thought about until seven years ago when I got divorced and I was like, okay, I have done so many things because I was told this was the right thing to do. This is the good thing to do. This is the godly thing to do. And I did it. And there were certain benefits to it. And then there were also certain costs to it. And then I started saying, okay, I've done everything I was told to do to the best of my ability. So, I love that you mentioned that actually, uh, returning back to the beginning. And there is this technique called the beginner's mind uh, mm. where uh, certain people believe that you never know anything for certain ever. We, we delude ourselves into thinking that we know what we know. And then when our theories fail or we find ourselves in places that defy what we thought we knew, sometimes we have breakdowns, which is what happened to me. Uh, and the, but that's actually a great place to be where, you know, that you don't know, mm. we, we, we are taught that that is a bad place 
and that part of being an adult is having a security of knowing the answers. But the healthier place is when you can be secure even when you know that you don't know the answers. And they call that the beginner's mind. So I actually love that you brought that up because I would have forgotten to mention that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up because I know there has to be more research on that. But I wanted to, there was a psychologist called Joseph Adler. And mm -hmm. um, I had, I think he had a book called uh, The Courage to Love or something like that. And I heard a snippet of it and he had a little metaphor in there for the journey of life. Okay. And he was comparing religion to philosophy. And he said, if you picture two people, you know, walking on a plank and they're in the darkness and they see this light ahead, you know, religion is when that person sees the light, they get to the light, they build a fortress around the light because now they have light. And then they defend that light against anything and everything. And philosophy is when the person sees the light, gets to the light and says, oh, wow, this is beautiful. There must be other lights. And while I'm here and I see this light, I see all kinds of things in this, in this area. I see maybe valleys and hills and flowers. And maybe if I keep going, I'll see something new. Let me keep going and see where, where the next light leads me. It's such a um, beautiful and, concept. Yeah. The journey, the journey yeah. to the next light, from light right, to light. The journey to the next light. And, and when I wrote my book, I actually took his, his idea and I expanded it. Um, and I was basically talking about that whole, that whole idea of constantly being a lifelong learner mm. and constantly feeling like, that there is a joy in the recognition that there's more to learn and that you Absolutely. can grow through learning and that just because you've learned something that's wonderful, that enlightened you, that you haven't arrived. Absolutely. That there's more to learn, you Absolutely. know? And so um, I kind of wrote about that in my book about how, when I, you know, as a Christian, you know, you're told this is it. This is the truth. This is it. There's no nothing else. You got the Bible in your hands. That's all you need. Right. And anything that's not mentioned in the Bible must not be a part of the light. Right. Right. And I remember in, in my book over the last seven years, there's so many things that are not mentioned in the Bible that I've experienced. Like, for example, therapy is not mentioned in the Bible, but Absolutely. it definitely impacted my life. Absolutely. You know, crystals are not mentioned in the Bible, but they definitely have impacted my life. Aromatherapy is not in the Bible. Oh my gosh, it's impacted my life. So many things, you know, that at one time I was steered away from anything and everything, you know, that wasn't specifically prayer, reading the Bible, going to church, that kind of thing. Yeah. And and I I took the perspective of there's so many other things that I can experience that can add to my life. And as I'm rebuilding my foundation, yes, I know what the Bible can do for me. I know what church can do for me. I know what prayer can do for me. I know what these things can do for me, but what else is there that right. I haven't tried, right. you know, that might add. One of the things I was going to mention, that's absolutely beautiful, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things I was going to mention before we got cut off, where I was going, the thing I was trying to remember, it just came back to me. 
So I want to say that if I can, uh, in organically, right? Uh, when we were talking about institutional identity a moment ago, you were talking about duty. Mm. That is an institutional response that substitutes, poorly substitutes for love. Ooh. When, when we love, we don't need rules. Mm. We don't need duty. We don't need obligation. It is the natural action. It's the natural response to the foundation of love. When there is no love, institution gives us duty and responsibility and obligation so that we continue to perform as if we love. But we were never told that obligation and duty moves us from light to light, brings us into a more realized version of ourselves. No one ever promised us that duty would bring us joy or uh, uh, soothe our hearts, calm our fears. We were never promised. But in order for the institution to have regular product, in order for there not to be a disruption in the supply chain, mm. we have to impose a substitute where love doesn't exist. And we call that duty. Uh, and I, I didn't want to forget. I was like, there's something. I'm there's so glad you said that. I'm so, so, so glad you said that because that is so powerful because so many of us, uh, okay, let me say in my generation, I'm 51. And so okay. Oh, I didn't know we we're the same age. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I, I grew up with that word duty, duty, duty. It's your duty. It's your responsibility. It's your duty. I heard that a lot. And um you know, people talk about why did our grandparents' marriages last so long? Well, a lot of it lasted out of duty. And in my book, Plenty of Guppies, I mentioned that my mother and my father got married out of duty. They had produced a child, me. So it was my father's duty to marry my mother. It was my mother's duty to accept his proposal and get married because they had produced me. But it wasn't a love match, okay? But it was a duty match. And they decided it's our duty to do this. We're going to do this. You know, we're going to make the best of it, you know. Um, and I grew up knowing that. So, you know, and Abby Lorene says, glad to see we are back. So oh, it's awesome. good to see that you're back, Abby. We got three people came back with us. Awesome. Yeah. But, you know, I remember feeling um, somewhat, in a sense, spoiled because I really wanted a love match. I really want, I didn't want a duty match. I didn't want, you know, I remember um, the first time I got proposed to, um, you know, I, I did love him, but I didn't feel like we were a good match. And it was almost like there was this, you, this man wants to marry you and provide right. for you. Right. You know, you need to be, girl, you, you know, right. you got this ticking time clock. You're not going to be 20 something forever, you know? Right. And, and the first proposal I passed on, and that was actually one of my first, in a sense, um, establishments of my identity. This is my life. And I don't want to get married to somebody that I'm not like really hopelessly in love with that I really can't just see the rest of my life with just because we're dating and they happen to propose to me doesn't mean I should accept, right. you know, um, and I remember that kind of being like my first time feeling like, oh, I, I should make decisions for myself. It's my life. But I kind of, again, pulled away from that because 
when you're told, you know, and, and especially in our society, I don't know how black men are told, but black women frequently get this, you're too picky. You know, if you were someone in a different culture, you would be happy that that man proposed. And black women, yeah. there's so few of you that get married anyway. You <laughs> need to be accepting that man that wants to marry you. And you need to be working with him to make him what you want him to be. And you need to. And, and you know, it's the whole idea of what the woman wants is like, that's just that's inconsequential. Right. He wants to marry you. So you should say yes. Right. You know. And, and building that foundation of saying, okay, what matters to me? Am I going to go on what matters to me, what I value, what my priorities are, or am I going to go on duty? Am I going to go right. on what society says I should do? Um, right. What am I going to put at a higher priority? You know, and the and problem, think, the yeah, problem if I may jump in, the problem is it doesn't just end with your decision to marry or not. If we buy into the concept that life is composed of obligations and duty versus love, we take that with us everywhere we go. And so on our jobs, if you're standing next to me in line at the grocery store, if I'm pumping gas at the car over by you, everything I'm doing is all duty. I don't I'm not expecting to encounter love at any point in my life. So how I treat everyone that comes across my path, it's all about duty. Do I have to talk to you? Do you need to talk to me? Do I have to get involved with you? Do I have to help you? Do I have a duty to care about people and situations that are not attached to me? That's well, some people say that's the problem that diagnoses how we've gotten into this terrible state we call the present age is because it's all governed by duty and no one loves what they do what they do they don't love where they are they don't love who they are they don't love how they've negotiated everybody's mad as if someone else is to blame for your negotiation but it's your choice no one has forced you to do anything well i wanted to go back to this idea of the hero's journey because when you decide i believe that you are on a journey that you have goals and you have a vision for your life and you're going to encounter obstacles on that path and you're willing and ready to you know deal with those obstacles you know there's the hero's journey is about that whole cycle um you know when i realized that i was actually on a hero's journey in a sense i started looking for certain things um, one of the books that I love is The Alchemist. Mm. And that book says, when you actually really decide what you're going to do, the whole universe conspires to help you. Absolutely. I've experienced that. I've experienced that too. And so I made a decision, okay, I'm building my foundation. I've decided I'm going to be this woman. I'm going to be one of the things I decided that was non-negotiable. I'm going to die empty. And what I mean by that is whatever talent, ability, skill I feel is in me, I'm going to get it out of me. I'm going to write. I'm going to perform. I'm going to speak. I'm going to, you know, lead classes. I'm going to, these are all talents that I've had for a long time. And when I was married, was I writing? Not really. Had I ever performed? No, not once. Okay. Had I ever spoken? 
in church a couple of times, you know, had I used any of these talents and abilities? Not pretty much. No, pretty much. I would say I would, I probably use 2% of my abilities in the 17 years I was married. Wow. So when I got divorced, I decided all of the energy that I put into that marriage, all of the energy that I put into being these roles. Now I'm going to put it into dying empty. I want to leave everything on the table as, as you know, when I used to be a, a an athlete, my coach would say, leave it all on the field, leave it Absolutely. all on the court. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Right. Don't, when you walk off of there, you need to be basically so exhausted because you left it all on the court. Absolutely. And I wanted to, I wanted to be like that. When I got to my deathbed, I wanted to say, I've left it all on the court. Every dream that I had, I did my best to accomplish it. Every goal that I had, I did my best to accomplish it. I left it all out there. So that was one thing that I decided. That was one of my foundational changes that I was not going to be this woman who put everything on the back burner because I needed to be a wife and a mother. I was going to be this woman who said, I'm going to die empty. And I believed now I'm on this journey. As the alchemist says, the universe is going to conspire to help me and I'm going to get allies because on the hero's journey, there's the whole idea that you get mentors and you get allies. You know, if you go back to the hunger games, she got her mentor and she got the people who helped her get the costumes together and the makeup together and, and introduced her to, you know, the court and all of that. She had all of those allies helping her to win. And even she had allies in the game. Absolutely. You know she I mean? did. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So have you seen that on your journey where you made a decision? And as you said, the universe conspired to begin to help Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Let me tell you what, what I had to do because I was working in a profession out of duty instead of love. I compartmentalized, I broke myself up into parts and I only was in a duty mind at work and then started loving when the day ended. But hmm. that's not natural. So what yeah. I, what the decision that I made is I was going to fix myself restore my own vision and value to myself, love myself enough to where if there was something that someone asked me to do that conflicts with my love, I, it's not negotiable. I can't do it. But in response to that, there is a whole other set of people, energies, opportunities, and possibilities that immediately began to flood in my direction because I am only interested in being the same person every day who cares about the same thing in every place, who loves passionately, who leaves nothing unsaid, undone, unthought, unplanned, undeveloped, right? And all of these opportunities that I used to dream about that would have never come from duty, things that would have never been possible, relationships, uh, it, it, it all of a sudden began to flow in my direction because I made space for it. And that's the thing that I think a lot of us struggle with we, and why be, we become complacent in relationships and in situations that we never should have been in in the first place. Even when we find ourselves very clear that we've made a wrong turn, we are so afraid that the cost of correction will be loneliness. We don't trust that the universe has someone for us in a healthy space. 
I, uh, there, there's this line in Succession. I don't know if you watch Succession, but it's one of my favorite shows. There's a line in Succession that says, he only loves you when you're broken. Ooh. And when I heard that, I literally had to pause. I was watching on my laptop. I had to pause the stream. That thing resounded in me so deeply because there are certain people whose only job in your life is to monitor and reflect and report on your level of brokenness back to you. That your whole relationship is dysfunctional. It's never going to bring you peace, happiness, or joy. But we don't cut those people off. You know, some of us have resolved with the new year to leave people who were never good for us behind. But we go a couple of days or nights without those texts being returned or those messages and the phone's not ringing and we don't know how to sit with ourselves anymore. And so immediately we reconnect with people and things that we know are no good for us because we don't trust that the universe will sin, will conspire on your behalf, not only replace what was missing, but to take what was an almost full cup and turn it into a literal river that will never empty again. That's what yeah. we're designed to do in the universe, but we don't believe it. I'm, I'm going to piggyback on what you're saying. This is a bookmark and this is the cover of my book. And it says plenty of guppies and other dating misadventures. And you can see that this is a woman and she's holding in her hands water, but she's also holding men in her hands. And this is supposed to symbolize a dating pool. So going back to what you said, you know, there was a point in my life when um, I had heard men say, oh my gosh, you're so picky. You're going to end up alone. You're going to end up alone. You're so picky. You're going to end up alone. I heard that so many times, you know, I sat there and I sat with it and I said, okay, I'm going to just go with it. I'm going to just feel this reality. I'm going to let this just hit me. I'm going to die alone. Let me take that in with everything and accept it. And I cried and I cried. And then you know what? I stopped crying and I said, you know what? If, if that is the cost of me dying empty, of me moving forward and accomplishing every one of my goals, every one of my dreams, of me deciding that I'm not going to settle for something that I feel is not um, appropriate for me where I am right now. If that's the cause, I'm okay with it. And it took grieving, just letting that thing go. And then I was like, I'm not scared of being lonely now. I'm not scared of, I've already grieved that if that happens, which I don't believe it will, because when, see the thing, the thing that I've learned, there's a saying, what you resist persist. When you're pushing against something and pushing against something, it tends to push back. But when you just let it go, it tends to stop pushing at you. So when I went through that whole process, I started just having people. I was not on a dating site. I was not trying to, I was doing nothing to meet people. And people were just up out of the blue, like jumping in my DM. I'm like, 
wait a minute, I just grieve being alone. You know what I mean? I grieve dying alone. I was just sitting there crying and boo-hooing. I'm about, I'm going to die alone. And all of a sudden, I got people asking me on dates I don't even know. Like, okay, okay, I'm going to go with it. So one of the things, you know, in building your foundation, okay, one of the things I decided I had to do was stop listening to what people told me was possible, you know, because what is possible based on what people tell you is what they know is possible. That doesn't mean that's all that is possible. I started to read a lot of books and listen to a lot of audiobooks, you know, because there are people that will tell you, man, you started that little business. Oh yeah. You might make, you know, $10,000 or $50,000, $70,000, you know? Yeah. Okay. That's possible. But there's people out there, they make a million dollars in a day. There's people out there that make, you know, a million dollars in an hour. So one of the things I had to decide was stop worrying about what's possible. Just move forward. Just move forward and just believe that the sky is the limit on everything, on success, on interactions, on joy, on peace, on gratitude. You know, just keep moving forward because one of the things um, we're talking about building our foundation, but when we have a foundation that's built in lack, that was one of the things I had to let go of. I remember I was driving one day and I was listening to YouTube and what was her name? Abraham Hicks said, she said, you're driving down the road one day. And do you realize that you're driving through million dollar uh, deals? They're spinning over your head as money is being transferred. So you're literally driving through a sea of money and you're worried about a $50 water bill. Wow. And that really hit me that literally as I'm driving down the road, there's people sending millions of dollars over my head electronically. And I literally am being, in a sense, bombarded by these technological messages that are shooting around me. And I could be part of that stream. That could be going into my bank account. You know, all I have to do is position myself in a way to where that's possible. Put out a book or put out a course or make the right connections. And then I could be the one making that million dollar deal. And as I'm sitting in my car driving, my phone could be pinging because I just got a deposit, you know? Um, and, and sometimes our foundations are built on such flimsy things. And in terms of like what, what we've been told is possible, what we've been told is probable, you know? And, and like I said, I had to do a lot of cleaning out of that kind of thinking and say, okay, I'm going to get rid of this lack. I'm going to get rid of this fear. And that's a lot of what it is. I'm going to get rid of this fear and I'm going to open myself up to possibility. I'm going to open myself up to faith. And I like, I got a new one now. I'm going to get rid of the duty as my motivation. And I'm going to open myself up to love. You know, we so can't imagine, I, we can't imagine what, uh, possibilities exist for us in the universe. And that's one of the reasons why the beginner's mind, I think is so important because when you think you know what's possible, you're limited by what you've been exposed to or what you've experienced. But if you get to the place where you can begin to own the fact that you can't grasp 
how much is possible for you, then all of a sudden, uh, possibilities, endless possibilities that you never conceived of, that maybe have never happened for anyone else before, but are destined to happen for you, those things can flow with everything else that comes in that current. But in my experience, you have to be honest with yourself and operate from a place of authenticity instead of attempting to mimic the life success or lifestyles of the people around you. They aren't you. You may do the exact same thing as 12 other people, but there will be 12 different results because we're talking about 12 different paths and that's okay. Part of the reason I think why people are stuck in dead-end relationships is because they're trying to mimic the relationships of other people that they know and have the audacity to become envious or jealous when they see other people out who are happy. That's their happiness. Part of the reason why we don't have the joy that's due to us is because we don't even regard joy as a valuable experience. When you see someone else with joy, you should be as excited for them as if that joy is yours because we're all connected in the universe. You should want the people who walk past you to experience success. Why wouldn't you? But we, we have translated, and I think it has a lot to do with capitalism. There is only a finite amount of resources available in the universe. And we know all too well how the data demonstrates that there need to be people over here and people over there. But if we release everything we think we know about what's possible and open our minds to entertain that which we cannot yet imagine, resources will come. They always have and they always will. Well, I wanted to piggyback on that. You know, we look at the unnatural world as the model for what can be. Like you said, capitalism says there's one pie. If you get a slice, that means there's less for everybody else. But nature doesn't say that. Okay. If you get a seed, okay, that seed has a tree in it, but that tree can produce another tree and can produce another tree. And then another tree, I mean, think about, you know, how one tree can drop a whole bunch of acorns. How many trees is that? Right. You know what I'm saying? So in nature, there is no idea of one pie. There right. is multiplication. Right. You know, there's multiplication and there's as many pies as there there are. There, I mean, it just keeps multiplying. Right. So I could I cannot hold a seed in my hand and say how many trees are going to come out of that because there's no way to know. So that's one thing that I've learned in the last seven years of my life. And my new book is about that. When I was holding my life in my hand and say, I'm going to rebuild my foundation. I had no idea what was going to happen at that moment. I did not know. OK, that a year later from that day. I was going to start performing. Then I was going to end up creating a business two years later, laughs and lyrics. I was going to end up with 65 shows that I did. And I met people from all over the United States, people 
all over the world have seen me perform and do those shows because we broadcast them live. I went from 600 Facebook friends on one page. I have 10 social media pages now. Okay. Um, that was the first business. Then one of my guests created my first piece of merch, which was a t-shirt. Okay. And then I was like, she brought the shirt to the show and 10 people say, I want a shirt. I wasn't even thinking about selling shirts. It was nowhere on my agenda to sell shirts. So I said, okay, I need 10 shirts, just like the one you just made. Cause they want them. Absolutely. I sold 300 shirts, you know, like that. And I don't even know, let's say five months, maybe. Okay. I wasn't thinking about selling one shirt. I have 14 designs now. I have, you know, a Teespring store. Okay. Then COVID happened. Everything shut down. All right. I'm like, I got to rebuild my foundation again. I can't perform. There's no shows. What am I going to do? Oh, people say I have a nice voice. I should create a podcast. What am I going to do a podcast about? I'm going to do a podcast about the stuff that I still have. Even though COVID shut down all the shows, I still have abundance. I still have balance. I still have boundaries. I still have compassion. I still have commitment. I still have the ability to build my foundation again and again and again. And every show has a different topic. All right. Didn't know when I created the podcast that I was going to end up being top 10% in the world. Didn't know that that was going to lead me to have a whole new audience. All right. Did not know that people were going to say, you talk about journaling. I created, and we're going to talk about your book in just a minute. This was the first book I created, really bare bones, guided journal. And then I updated it to this one. And then I put this cover on it. Had no idea. I wanted to be an author as a kid. Mm. Wanted to write three books. That was my bucket list. Okay. Through this energy podcast, I've wrote two guided journals. One is on the bestseller list. The other one hadn't been released to Amazon yet. And this book is book number three that's about to come out on Valentine's Day, sneak peek on January 30th. I had no idea when I sat there and reevaluated my life and my foundation that I was going to end up with three businesses. I don't know how many social media followers a best-selling book about to probably, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm claiming that this one's going to be on the bestsellers list too. You know, didn't know any of that was going to happen. All I did was make one decision. And that one decision was to reevaluate. Thank you. Abby Loreen says, God has blessed you with a talent to share and inspire. Thank you. Um, I just knew that I wanted to do things differently. And I was willing and courageous enough to just move forward with that, whatever it meant. I'd already tried the other way. So I wanted you to talk about your book and the hero's journey and also tell people where they can find you because we got to wrap up in like the next five minutes. Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, so the first book, I, I have five books that are going to launch the hero's journey. I released the first one last year. It's called Deliver Yourself from Evil. It's about uh, if you want to experience a better world, the first thing that needs to change is you. Uh, 
it's mm. it's the foundational core book. It's the start. It's the evaluating your status quo. And then the second book I just finished last weekend. It's called Choose Your Own Adventure. It's about making choices and experiencing a different universe based on your one decision, just like you just talked about. Choose Your Own Adventure. I'm calling it an orientation manual for the universe. All my books are available on all social media, on all platforms, all bookstores, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, uh, Books a Million. Uh, it's everywhere. Amazon, of course, is the is the place where uh, everything lives. But I'm really excited because there will be three more books coming. I'm going to write a book a year. So this will be five books in five years. Terribly excited about it. And the great thing about the books that I write, even though I use my story as a model, the books aren't about me. They're about the reader. I unlock keys that already exist in the universe by connecting my story to the story of everyone else. So it's one of the best things I've ever decided to do is write. Well, that's awesome. And, and I can say the same thing about my book. This book, uh, Plenty of Guppies, is a, a dating memoir. Um, in the last seven years, and you're gonna, your mouth is probably going to drop, I have been online dating. I've actually gone on 147 dates in seven years. Wow. But 101 are in the book. And the guys have nicknames. Um, and so many things I've learned. I've learned so much. And so many of these people really impacted me. So it's, it's about all the things that happened in my life. It's about starting the businesses, my kids leaving home, my kids coming back home, you know, uh, losing my parents. So everything that's happened to me in the last seven years is in the book. Um, but also 92 poems are in the book. So it's a poetry memoir. And it goes, starts in 2014, goes to 2021. Um, and it is my story, but every book, like the first chapter is attitude because it goes through the ABCs or 26 chapters. And the, the lesson for that chapter is don't be a rose, be the whole damn bush, you know? So every chapter ends with a lesson and that lesson is applicable to anybody. And I explain basically how you could take this lesson that I learned in my life and apply it to your life, you know, to enhance your life. So I'm using, as you said, my personal story to try to give people some, some food for thought, you know, some food for thought. I love so, that. And I, forgot, I forgot to mention at the, at the end of each of the chapters uh, for mm -hmm. the books that I write, I have affirmations that oh, are okay. uh, statements that you can declare to change your mind from having a fixed mindset where you think you know your possibilities and you know what can happen in the areas of performing, uh, winning, loving, choosing, and letting go. Those are the five chapters of Deliver Yourself from Evil. And each chapter ends with a series of affirmations that you can repeat in order to manifest those unimagined possibilities. That sounds really great. I love that. I love that. Affirmations at the end of each chapter. That is so powerful. So tell the people where they can find you. You said all your books are on social media, on all the basically Amazon, Walmart, all those different um, channels. Where can they find you if they want to know more about you, follow you? Yes, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. If there's a social media platform, I'm on it. And my handle is my name. Chauncey McGlathery. Uh, I'm also on Goodreads and all of those uh, book platforms as well. Amazon, of course, as well. 
once you once you find me anywhere, you can find me everywhere. Okay, and I am Zenashe. That's Z E N A S E, and this is Zenergy. And it is, again, about replacing limitations with possibilities. So this whole episode was about moving away from the limitations. We all have a foundation and some of those things in our foundation are so powerful and so helpful and so wonderful. And some we need to reevaluate and some we need to get rid of. And we need to rebuild that foundation with affirmations and with changes in our mindset. Like you said, moving from a fixed mindset that says I am who I am and I can't change to no, I can be whoever I decide to be and whoever I work towards becoming. Um, and so we can move away from the things that have limited us and move into things that just lead to so many good things in our lives happening and, and us living the lives of our dreams. So I want to thank you, Chauncey, for joining us. I want to thank my audience for joining me and please share these videos. Please share, you know, the episodes I'm on all like 25 different platforms, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, everything, everything. So, you know, you can go find uh, 64 other episodes on other topics that are all about, again, replacing limitations with possibilities and living the life of your dreams. That's what Zenergy is, the urge for more peace and fulfillment in life. So thank you guys for joining me and may you walk in Zenergy. Have a great night. My name is Zenai Shea, and I have a weekly podcast called Zenergy, which is fuel for the mind, body, and soul. And this is the Zenergize Your Life Goal Setting Package, Volume 1. It comes with a workbook, a journal, stickers, a bookmark, tabs, and a QR code where you can find my podcast. And inside this workbook, you're going to have 16 different principles. The first one, I'm going to show you mine, is abundance. You have a place to put pictures that inspire you of role models, also pictures of goals that you want to create, goals, journal prompts, meditations, affirmations, all kinds of things to help you focus on this principle to better your life. And like I said, there's 16 principles. So this is a $15 package that comes with all of these things I've shown you, $21 with shipping and handling, and you can get it at laughsandlyrics.com. So Zenergize your life with me. Thank you. Thank you.